enjoy experimental film. The filmmaker Kurt Krenn was born in 1929 in Vienna. At the age of 10, he was sent to Rotterdam as an evacuee as his father was of Jewish descent. Upon his return to Vienna in 1947, he enrolled in a job at the National Bank, but quickly found himself making films that not only challenged viewers' perception of the film media at the time, but also scandalised audiences thanks to his association with the Vienna Actionist Group. Eventually, his art overtook his job in the financial sector. In the early 1980s, one actionist artist, Otto Mule, was sent to prison on sexual abuse charges, and Krenn, perhaps understandably wanting to distance himself from Mule, left Austria for the US. Alternating between Austin, Texas and Houston, he continued to make films, many of these whilst living in his car. As part of a fundraising effort, his friends in the punk band Really Red mounted a benefit concert for Krenn, having frequently projected his films as part of their performances. He married Marnie Rogers in 1979, but the marriage lasted only one year, and Krenn moved to California. By the end of the 80s, he had returned to Vienna, working first as an actor and cinematographer, then subsequently co-founding the Vienna Institute of Direct Art in 1966 and the Austria Filmmakers Cooperative in 1968. In addition, he was a member of the Vienna Secession, the London Filmmakers Co-op, which he joined in 1967, and the New York Filmmakers Cooperative, among others. He died in 1998, but his influence is now felt almost the world over. Six-pack and index editions have done sterling work in distributing his films both in prints and on DVD, so his work is easy to find on home media and indeed online for anyone interested to explore his fascinating body of work. Kurt Krenn's films are sometimes viewed as pioneering works in structural film, although he tends to occupy a position rather outside the regularly cited structural filmmakers. He often deployed mathematical number sequences to edit his films, though also worked with other new and unusual methods, including filming one sequence whilst shooting through another length of film, making small apertures before the lens to expose only a little of the film at a time before re-photographing the same scene, and of course restructuring and condensing performance art pieces. The first English-language book about Krenn's films was edited by artists and writers Nicky Hamlin and Simon Payne, whilst one of the keenest programmers in the UK of Krenn's films is the artist and teacher Anna Thew, and I'm thrilled to say all three join me for this episode. We begin, however, with a few questions sent in by Stephen Woloshin in Canada, who ranks Krenn among his favourite filmmakers. Hey, good morning. Uh, sorry, I can't be with you guys, but I have some questions about Kurt Krenn. Um, one of them is that he has a huge body of work, and I think in light of this, how, how come we don't see more retrospectives um, of, his, uh, of his work? And my second question is, um, what are the details surrounding why he was fired uh, from the National Bank, where I think he did some of his work? or he was commissioned by the National Bank. I was wondering if uh, any Kurt Krenn experts out there can kind of clear that up for me. So those are my two questions, and I hope they can uh, really uh, propel this discussion. Anyway, talk to you later. Thanks. Bye. Nikki Hamlin.
his biography is a bit of a mystery, to be honest with you. So he had this, this, this kind of period in his, when he was a teenager where he was hiding away in Holland during the war. And then he went back to Vienna and got the job in the bank and then got sacked from the bank because the bank heard about his filmmaking activities. And then... He, he didn't actually get sacked. He, he dismissed himself. Anna Thew. Oh, he dismissed himself, yeah, okay, bank yeah. didn't dismiss him. And this is why I wonder whether he was Jewish because why would he go... Well, he was Jewish. Yeah. His so, father was Jewish. Well, yeah, his okay. father was Jewish. So that's why he went to Holland. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then the reason that the bank didn't actually sack him was because they were worried, though they wanted to sack him and they made it clear that they didn't really like his connections. Yeah. Um, they, the, he, he just sort of thought he'd had enough of them anyway. Um, so he, he left. But they, the bank, they, they, they reckoned that the bank would have been accused of anti-Semitism. Yeah, yeah. But, and I think his father worked for the bank and then maybe lost his job because, because he was Jewish, possibly. Mm -hmm. I think, if I remember correctly, he, he got to Rotterdam, but presumably wasn't safe there. Simon Payne. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. Why, why Rotterdam? Why not? You know, the yeah, UK, not a very safe place to go. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. Um, anyway, he obviously. So that's a bit of a mysterious period in his life, which we don't know anything about. Um, well, yeah. Then he was invited to the states and went, showed his films, did various tours, lived in his car for a year lived in Houston for a while, worked as a museum guard in the art museum in Houston, and then eventually went back to Vienna and got a pension and spent his last years, years in Vienna. And then there's also this story about him turning up at the Lux Center and being booted out of the building because somebody thought he was a tramp or something. I hope that story is true in a way. I mean, in a way, I hope it's not. And in a way, I hope it is, because it would just confirm for me what horrible place the Lux Center was. <laughs> The, the, the Kurt Kren, that it, it became the antithesis of the film Cop, absolutely the antithesis. And, and the, the idea of Kurt Kren being kicked out because he wasn't recognised uh, would just be perfect confirmation of that, <laughs> you know. But that's the story that I heard, but I don't know whether it's true. But it's sort of, it's the other end of the story. It's a kind of bookend. And the other, the other bookend is Peter Kubelka saying when he was asked, you know, what, who, are the, who are the interesting filmmakers in Europe? And he said, there aren't any. <laughs> yes. And... Uh, which is also... Because he's very arrogant anyway. Yeah. But he'd actually shown Kren's work in a gallery before. So it's weird that he would have said that because he must have liked Kren's work enough to show it. But then subsequently, as a self-promotion thing, well, why hasn't there been a retrospective? Well, we... I don't know. There was, one at the, there was one at the Film Cup a long time ago. I remember seeing all the films, almost all of them were shown maybe just in a single evening even, or maybe over two evenings at the co-op. And uh, obviously, Nikki and Simon, I've uh, uh, thought of you straight away because of the book that you uh, edit with, edited with, uh, with Al Reese on the films of Kirk Wren. Um, but Anna, of course, I'm interested in your thoughts about programming, as you, sh you mentioned showing uh, Trees in Autumn along with Enchanda Moore. And of course, you did a film. Is, it, is there more than one film dedicated to Kren or is it Autumn Rush, the main no, I just did. The reason that I did Autumn Rush for Kirk Kren was uh, I was uh, screening films at Chelsea for quite a long time. Hmm. And it was really good when the films from the film co-op were a pound a minute or, you know, one pound fifty a minute. But in the mid 90s, they put the prices up to 15 pounds for a short film. <laughs> Guy Sherwin and I were writing letters madly trying to say, look, we can't. How We just get rid of the whole budget. 
in half an hour if you if you charge him this much money. So then I started to have a little a little file where I wrote to various people like Jan Beauvais or Rose Lauder and said, "Can I please have your films at a pound at a pound a minute?" And most of them, apart from Stan Brackett, who refused to let me have <laughs> health bit flexion for which is only 30 seconds for 50p <laughs> he, he just said he'd rather liked his money so I wrote back to him and I said well I'm afraid you won't get any because <laughs> any money at all because I can't afford to hire so he we used to write to the filmmakers when we paid them their royalties just you know strike up a relationship and so uh, of course Kirk Krem was somebody I'd actually corresponded with and he sent me this wonderful pack a fax back saying, I don't care, you can have my films for free as long as you show as many as you can and, and make it a mixed variety. It was a lovely little, you know, fax. And then, but of course, I really would quite like a pound a minute if I could get it because then I can have a few beers. <laughs> so that was very lovely. But then when he died and I lost his fax, you know, no, I lost his fax. And then the, then, uh, and then the people, you know, they just got more ridiculous the amount of money that they were charging I mean I think it's still ridiculous uh, the, the locks were charging things like 50 pounds for films under a half an hour well I mean that that put paid to almost everybody's film that was less than 30. yeah I just I just went down to really hiring uh, the same four films I think they gave me a, at uh, Maidstone they gave me a budget of 250 pounds for the term yeah. so I, I used to get wavelength Ray gun virus, angles of incident. <laughs> I don't get, get the, yeah, well, I got, I just got the things which really had to be seen, really had to be seen on film, which weren't on DVD, like Wavelength and yeah. Ray gun virus and angles of incident, and maybe one or two others. But yeah, they, they really chopped themselves in the foot. But at the same time, the, the prints, well, we're going off topic a bit, but so when I was making frame yeah. enlargements for the book, mm. I went to the Lux and I, and um, they have three copies of, of the most popular films like TV and Baumann Hertz, and they're in all in terrible condition. Yes, but that's and then the only ones that are in good condition are the, mm. the so-called bad home movies, which I rather like, actually. I, I, I hadn't really watched them carefully, but they're actually beautifully made. They're beautifully framed and edited and very funny. Mm. One way his car gets towed away, it's just brilliant. Which way to see A? Mm. Which way to very see funny. Right. Yeah. It's got a, it, has a, it has a seagull in, it, lots of the shots have a seagull in, <laughs> and Seagull sort of dominates the shot. It's really, really funny. He had a great sense. He obviously had a great sense of humour. I think so. I think so. <clears throat> anyway. So that's, that, that, that was the reason that I made Autumn Rush, was because I couldn't get hold of Boimer and Herbs, and he died. And that was <clears throat> sort of upsetting news. So I made this, I did this programme of his films when he died. But then um, after that, I then decided I'd make Autumn Rush for Kirk Crenn, and then And then it came up so nice that I thought I'd make a winter film. <laughs> and then I dedicated that to Rose Lauder, who is another person who, of a structurist lot, who I think is a real pure structurist. So for, for, um, for Nikki and Simon as well, was there a kind of detective work going on, on on your part as far as trying to construct this text, this study? Not really, no. I just looked at the films and analysed the films in detail. Um, I mean, I... I I, I, I get the, uh, you know, I can see why the actionists did what they did when they did it. And and there's that, I mean, I'm not an expert on Austrian culture, but there's obviously a very strong strain of um, of uh, that kind of very traumatic, traumatising work, you know, and, 
as I said before, like Thomas Bernard's novels and Alfred Jelinek's novels are, can, they, they're more recent manifestations of that. Um, and Schoenberg's music is tortured, you know, it sort of sounds tortured to me. Um, but uh, no, I think I just, well, I, I originally, the original idea of the book was mine. I'm not, I'm not boasting or anything, but I originally had this idea and then I, I didn't do anything about it. And I thought I would write a whole book about Kirkland on my own. Then I realized it was crazy to try and do that. So then I started discussing it with Al and then, uh, and then Simon subsequently, I think, I can't remember now exactly the sequence, but um, um, I think I just, uh, you know, watched the films and things responded to things in the films. And I just, I think they're, um, I don't know. I don't know what it is. What is it I like about them? Well, I, I like the economy of means and the frugality of them. That's fantastic. It's, it's really impressive. And I like um, the fact that he, he would really, you know, there's one called No Film, which is very, very short. But what's really clever about that film is that it's just, I think it's just made from a single card. There's three shots, there's a title and then the, and then the film. And the film is the same as the title. So there's this really interesting conceptual, funny joke, conceptual joke going on. But then you see it in reverse, in negative, but I'm sure it's the same. I mean, I haven't been able to confirm this exactly, but I'm 99% I'm, I'm sure that the whole film is made from a single piece of artwork. And actually I've made some work like that using artwork, which is just a single piece of paper. And I, now I think about it, that, I'm sure that was Krenn's influence on, on me, but um, um, uh, the, the, the film called um, Now and Positive, Negative and Vague, and then you get these shots of the park with people, these time up. That's an amazing, yeah, the, 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 just the juxtaposition, what's going on is so, so clever. It's so, not clever in an ostentatious, clever sort of way, but it's just very intelligent and interesting. And um, most of the films are really intelligent. There are a few that are not so interesting. Like the, the, the time, some of the time-lapse films, of the, the Amsterdam film cult film isn't a very interesting film. There are one or two like that, which, which are sort of kind of okay, but they're not. Um, the, but I, I, got, I got really interested in the black and white films. So one of the essays is about those. And then I got really interested in these, what he called his bad home movies, which I think are actually fantastic. And uh, the prints at the Lux are in perfect condition because they never get shown. But they really should be because he's got a fantastic, he's just a brilliant filmmaker. He's got a great eye. He can frame things in a really, you know, in this film, I think it's what's, Which Way to CA, which is the one which has a seagull in several of the shots. And then there's, um, there's a shot of some Japanese tourists at the Golden Gate Bridge oh, yeah. and he's filming them being photographed. So there's another, there's sort of an interesting, that brings in another layer. And then there's that film, a bit like that of the, um, the Strauss um the uh, Monument in Vienna. The Monument in Vienna of people being photographed in front of that. So there's this. A lot of them are, have that kind of reflexivity in them. Um, yeah, I mean, I just yeah, they, all those things. I think just think of such great qualities, and they. There's this. There is this very strong sense of. I mean, they're quite crotchety. Those films. They sort of jump around a bit, and they're not. They're not technically, they're quite rough. I like that aspect of them, but they're actually very, very considered, but not over-considered. They're not, they're not over-calculated, but there's, there's this wonderful mix of, uh, I mean, I suppose it is a bit like what you get in Webern and Schoenberg, no more so sort of Webern. You get this, something that's quite structurally controlled in a way, but 
but generates all sorts of unexpected. This is what you want art to do, really. You want it to generate things which aren't in your control. And I think, uh, yeah, I think those are the qualities I, I, that I'd really admire. And I, I also think he's, I mean, Anna mentioned Rose Lauder, but I think actually, I think Kurt Krenn is... They're totally different. He's a, he's a very different filmmaker, but I think they are, they are great structures. I mean, I love the, um, the one called, it's called to, to William and Birgit Hine, which is, it's a film of a park filmed through a photograph of a park, which is just such a clever idea. And again, it's not, he doesn't, he's not ostentatious about it. It's, it's a means to an end and the end is fantastic. You get these weird shifts of contrast and things going in focus. So I'm uh, amazing. That's what I like about his work really. But what was so wonderful for me, because, because I was not really making films at that time, I was, I was still painting. And, and the, the process of just looking, where you're just looking out of a window, this is just what people do with stills cameras. So I think this idea, it's possi a possibility that, uh, that Kurt's, Kurt's standard eight camera, if he had one, because it's like a stills camera, you, you start taking pictures with it in the same way that you would with a stills camera, but oh, of course you can join them all together. So it might be something like that, but there's this thing that happens when you're just photographing and you're taking single frames. Each time you're, 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 you're just having another little look at that and you see the light changing on the, on the leaves and you think, oh, I'll wait for a bit and then I'll, I'll paint that. It's a bit like painting or photography. Mm. So it's like coming, that, that's how I felt. But then the other thing that I liked about his work uh, that struck me, and that was the why I loved, I loved um, the Boy Met Him Herps, partly because you get this kind of, get this little funny shake. And it's like, you know how you get sounds from the leaves and say like sounds from water. And then you get this kind of movement little movement. I didn't know at the time when I thought he was using this funny little Fibonacci series idea with Boyman Hep. So, so it's going and it's sort of shrinking and expanding. But actually, yeah, yeah. maybe, maybe there, in this rhythmic way, there is this sort of optical rhythm. There's this thing which is pleasurable to the eyes because you, it's not interesting to see just single frame stuff. No, no, quite. no, absolutely. A time. So yeah, I think yeah. from seeing Kurt Krenn's films with the variation in the number of frames that he's using, that influenced me greatly, even with yeah. my, first, my first attempt at kind of doing something which was single framing in blur. I used yeah. all sorts of different, um, you know, the, the, in 24 there are different factors. So you can mm -hmm. use it musically, you know, mm -hmm. like with... with you know, twelve eight time. You can use you can use you can do two layers and and do this kind of contrapuntal thing with rhythm. Mm. And and I just think that that is just satisfying in the same way as when you see Tony Conrad's Flickr film or um, Arnold Freiner. So there's but there's something rather wonderful just about this variation in in the flickering thing and. Mm. Uh, and so it's never going to be the same when you see it again. And mm. it's never going to be the same. It's not the same all the way through. So there's no pattern. And so there is that sort of thing where you've got, you've got this kind of thing where he's got a plan and mm. he's done all the, and he's, you know, obviously interested in numbers, like mm. 
well, I was thinking about, he probably would have been the sort of person who would like playing Sudoku. So when he's messing around, he's doing this accounting job, he's actually also really liked messing around with numbers. You've just heard a couple of musical references in the previous discourse, and you might find them useful in relation to the films of Kurt Krenn, although it was Peter Kabelka who cited music more significantly as an influence. The second Viennese school of composers consisted of three musical pioneers, Arnold Schoenberg, Alban Berg and Anton Weben, as well as their students. In the wake of significant social and political upheaval, these three composers attempted to create a system of composition which extended beyond the traditional tonal major and minor scales of mainstream music to that point. Instead, they employed this slightly scary-sounding method called the 12-note system, which deployed every single semitone of the chromatic scale as a method of first extending and then abandoning traditional tonality altogether. This isn't necessarily as frightening as the name suggests, as they also found within this method ways to create surprising combinations of notes, often using mathematical formula, to produce new, sometimes shocking, other times very beautiful effects. Curiously, while critics initially derided such music, one describing Alban Berg's opera Wozzeck as akin to inhabiting an insane asylum, audiences actually responded far more enthusiastically, feeling the music captured something of the emotionally fraught mood of the time. Similar numerical systems found their way into German and Austrian cinema, particularly in the wake of the Second World War, with some suggesting that this was a response of the anti-fascist artists to the traumas wrought by the war and the Nazi regime. Such musics at the time had been denounced as degenerate art, along with a host of other things, by Hitler's party. Schoenberg, for his part, turned to what he sarcastically referred to as ugly music after the trauma of the end of his first marriage, which would see his wife ultimately leave him and her lover commit suicide. We're about to discuss a few of Kurt Krenn's films, as you may have gathered, but a particular focus in our early discussion revolves around the film Boimer im Herbst, or Trees in Autumn. This film, made in 1960, focuses, as the title suggests, almost exclusively on trees, the majority of which are bare. Using a numerical pattern, the filmmaker shoots the trees in a remarkable montage, alternating shot lengths according to the number of frames. One frame for one tree, two on the next, then three on the next, and so on, then returning to a single frame, lending the film a sense of expansion and contraction. Added to this, there is a marked contrast in shot juxtaposition between light and darkness, densely wooded shots and sparsely wooded shots. Part of the system in this film is printed in the book Kurt Krenn Structural Films, edited by Nicky, Simon and the late Al Rees, but there's an additional draw to this work which Anna cites here. With trees in autumn, I can't get past the idea that he loved the trees, and he was... You know, trees have rhythms based on spirals. So as little twigs come out, and of course you can see this very well in, uh, because they, they, mm. the trees, you see the shapes and those shapes are all, you know, the, the, Fib the Fibonacci thing. 
he called it the golden section of film, remember? And the golden, it's not, Fibonacci series is not quite, doesn't quite form um, the, the numerical pattern of a, of, of a spiral. So, so I think that in Kirk Crenn, and I have to say that I really think he liked looking at things and he liked trees for the sake of the trees. Otherwise they would never have come out so beautifully because he's trying to show you something about the rhythm that the trees are. There is a rhythm in the trees, which is like a dance. If you look at trees, if you look at trees very intensely and closely, and I'm sure that um, that film, Boyman and Herbst, made me look at trees in a different way. You can interpret the films quite musically. Like you said, with the Fibonacci sequence, it becomes expanded and contracted. So it, it's like the breath of that film that expands and contracts. Mm. And of course, he's showing something that's natural anyway. So he is showing yeah. something that's very much alive. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Here, Nikki is referring to an article by Simon which appears in their book on the subject of Boima im Herbst and the somewhat arbitrary structure. There is a sense in which in Baum im Herbst the, 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 the shots could be different, the content of the shots could be different and it would still do what it does. Is that what you're saying in a way? No, that's not... That, I was trying to make a point in a way about the the characteristic of the structures in Krenn's films, and particularly Trees in Autumn. I, and I described it as, as being um, arbitrary, the structure being arbitrary with respect to the subject matter, the, the trees. And I made the observation that the, the, the Fibonacci sequence uh, corresponds with you know, the patterns of growth in nature. But in fact, Trees in Autumn doesn't have that Fibonacci sequence. Um, it's quite an irregular um, structure to the, the film. Uh, I've got the, um, the diagram in front of me here. And it's, it's, it's not a coherent structure at all, but it tends to do these kind of zigzag forms, you know, one frame of one tree, two frames of the next tree, three frames of the following tree, and then it'll go up to five, and then it'll go back down to one. You know, this zigzag sequence will carry on. But then there are, there are kind of breaks in that structure. My point about my point about trees in autumn, and, and, and it ties in with um, um, with the other film that you're talking about, Test with synthetic sound. Is that I think there's quite a lot. There's a kind of sense of alienation in a lot of Krenn's films. It seems to me. Um, it's also there in the what's, what's the film in that he made when he was staying in the countryside, and it's the Asil. Asil, Asil, Asil yeah. and the, the, you know, there's this kind of anecdote about uh, you know not enjoying himself <laughs> in, in, kind of in the countryside and feeling like he's cooped up, you know. Um, and I, I just see that in a lot of the, his films, in a way, a kind of a kind of alienation to some degree from from nature. And I, I see that in 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 trees in autumn and. Um, Asil and 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 also I think it's there in in tests with synthetic sound. Although you know, you don't have any images of nature particularly. There's the cactus. There's the brick wall. There's the pistol. All images which, in a sense, fend off the viewer to some degree, or, or perhaps the filmmaker in in the, in the stance. Um, they can. There's something. There's something kind of fraught about that, those images. I think in that film. Well, I think there's quite a heavy atmosphere, I think, with a lot of Krenn's films, you know. The, 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 I, I don't see, like, Trees in Autumn 
or, or, or these other films that we talked about as being kind of celebratory films of, of nature necessarily, um, uh, or the, or, um, the, the pro-filmmaker. I think there's something quite dark in them, you know, in, in fact, and explicitly in, in films, well, like the action films that we, we, that we started off with, you know, they think there's something quite evidently dark in those films that are, and TV as well. TV is like that somehow. TV, everything in the, it's 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 very sort of enclosed and and claustrophobic, quite claustrophobic, isn't it? Would you say? Yeah, yeah I would. I mean, there's also that film um, Shatsy, isn't there? Mm. Which is, um, you know, one watches the film. I can't remember how long it is. Maybe a few minutes again. But for, for most of it, you can't tell what you're looking at. But eventually, you know, the, the image of the Nazis. Um, uh, Commandant is resolved in the image. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's also the film of the My Lion Massacre. Yeah. Um, I think there's darkness throughout his film. That's a strange it? film, and it has that curious. Uh, it's it's a poster. It's it's close-ups of a poster. It's it's a, exactly the same as that. Well, not exactly the same, but it's very similar to the one, uh, uh, Shatsi. But then at the end, there's a strange shot of um, a high-angle shot looking down at a kind of midwestern street and a couple of people walking along it and that feels that feels very alienated somehow so of course there's also fence to google yeah yeah as well which is another one like that yeah is it all these characters looking at on fence to google and alpha i find humorous as eating pissing and shooting film is humorous it's meant to (laughs) meant to be silly you know so so as there's not so much gloom as I think, I don't think it's all gloomy or all angsty. I think in a way, when you actually do the angsty thing, it might start off, there may be an angst thing there, but I think there are little bubbles of, of delight. I think there are sort of, you know, which come from the rhythms, which come from the subject matter. Well, they're not heavy. They're, so they're not, they're not heavy handed. It's true. They're, they're not, not heavy handed, but they, I think Simon's right about that. I've never thought about um, about uh, synthetic, uh, you know, the first film like that. But it's also got—is that the one with, with shots with a shot of scissors in it as well? The castration so, scissors. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> they're, 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 they're... I think of uh, Paul Sherratt's as razor blades, which not so many people have seen, but it, because it's a twin screen. Well, that's quite a violent film in a way. Or, well, touching. But there's a very different, very yeah. different temperament yeah. going on there. Of course, he's got. I mean, he's. But actually, I think um, there's something there about being out of step uh, with with the rest of the world, which may be what Simon's hinting at with the idea of alienation. So it's more that a lot of people are feeling perfectly comfortable. I'm not feeling comfortable, and a lot of other people are feeling very uncomfortable. I'm quite enjoying myself. There's a kind of out of mm. step, uh, contradictory nature. Yeah, I, you know, there's a big difference, isn't there, between. I mean, none of this is to describe his films as alienating. That's a bit my no, of course not. Yeah, you know, um, they are fantastic films to contemplate and fantastic films to look at, and extraordinary experiences. Mm. Um, nevertheless, I think you know, I think there is something of Crane's psychology in the stru- in the systems of the films, and I, and I think it is perhaps, as you suggest, you know, a figure out of step. Mm. With, this, with with his society, there's different people in that film, of course, isn't there? There is the 
the people looking out of the window um, and we see them from below and, and they're looking down on, on him, the filmmaker, and by extension us. And then there's also all the, 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 the you, you see people passing by at street level, don't you? Whom you feel amongst rather more. There's, there's a kind of more, more of a sense of community on the street somehow, I think. Yeah. And the looking down in the, in the Mao and Posneg film as well, looking down on the people on the ground. Yeah. I mean, that, that film is, I mean, Nicky pointed this out in a way, or, or he seemed to see that there are kind of alienating devices or, or, or images which suggest a separation. Mm. Um, from the world in Maron, positive and neg, the wall. Um, there's the brick walls in the um, test with synthetic sound. Yes. Um, and he would be familiar, I suppose, with the, with the Iron Curtain and the Berlin Wall at, uh, at various points in his life. I suppose so. Vienna was a divided city, wasn't it? We're mentioning films at quite a rate at this point in our discussion, and it is worth recapping some of the films that we've mentioned. One major plus at the moment is the three releases on DVD of Krenz Films from the German company Index Edition. You can find them on nearly any outlet of experimental or art cinema. First, of course, Index Edition, where you can purchase these films either as a DVD or to stream to your device. The majority of Krenz films are on YouTube as well, but the quality from Index Edition is quite a lot better. One disc, called Structural Films, contains many of the films that we're discussing here. Test with Synthetic Sound, Trees in Autumn, Asil, a particular favourite of mine, and Tree Again, as well as some others of particular interest. There's TV, in which Kren shoots through a window, as if observing figures on a TV screen, cutting between a number of shots from the same angle with repetitions. There's Fenstergucker Abfall, in which Kren juxtaposes images of people looking out of their windows with images of litter and rubbish. There's also Shatsi, or Treasure, which provokes the viewer to want to discern a blurred image, only to wish they hadn't when it finally comes into focus. Then there are investigations into more abstract forms, or at least views, with Green and Red and Built Helga Philipp. The Action Films DVD comprises Kren's work with the Vienna Actionist Group, which race through taboo subject matter with gleeful abandon. They reconstruct durational performance art pieces as short films, creating an altered sense of temporality, as well as some of the most shocking images in Kren's output, or indeed the output of any filmmaker at that time. Featuring images of performative sexual humiliation, large amounts of bodily fluids and other substances, as well as foodstuffs flung and smeared all over the place, these films are well worth your time, but not for the faint-hearted. Lastly, there's a disc dedicated to what Kren called his bad home movies, featuring the film Which Way to CA, which also gives the disc its title. It also features rather entertaining conceptual works like Kaina Dono and No Film, as well as films made while Kren was rather down on his luck and literally living in his car, such as Getting Warm. As the title of Nicky, Simon and Al Reese's book is Kurt Krenn Structural Film, I put the question to both the present authors if they felt Krenn really fitted this description. The simple answer to this 
is that we took the title because, because the title referred to the kind of the the, the, the one set of DVDs, uh, yeah. the one set of films on the, on the DVD. But Nikki immediately kind of um, went out of the uh, uh, beyond that kind of limitation because he's he's he started writing about the um, the less much lesser known films on on that DVD called Which Way to CA. So it, I think we didn't think about this terribly. Um, um, in detail about the title of the the title of the book, you know, structural films. Because of course, is he a structural filmmaker or not? You know, Sidney never writes about him, so maybe not. <laughs> um, um, but but I think that also the point about the way in which Sidney writes about structural films, and we haven't mentioned wavelengths because that is the. That's the ultimate structural film, I think, for for, for yeah. Sydney. The point about that film is that the structure is a kind of metaphor for, um, for 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 something else. And I can't remember what it is exactly, but <laughs> this movement across the loft space, ending on the photograph, and then we're into the space of the photograph, is a kind of it's it's a metaphor for a kind of. Um, transcendent consciousness or something. I can't remember how, how, how um, Sydney puts it or, or indeed how Michelson. Well, Annette Michelson, Annette Michelson talks about it like that, doesn't she? Annette, well, but and, also, and so does Michael yeah, Snow, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, but it has, the four, it has the four criteria as well. It doesn't have a lot of flicker, but it does have some flicker. It has, <laughs> it has, it has a camera on a tripod, it has film, refilming, and it has looping. I suppose that the event does in a way go back to perhaps the, the, the systematic and score-like nature of the, of the films themselves. Um, you're watching the score play out in some ways, or you're watching the experience. Pattern, the pattern works itself out, yeah. Yeah, which is, it's, seems to be very much akin to listening to music and, and an event in that respect. Maybe the single frame I mean, not all of his films are, are, are based on these single frame structures, but nevertheless, the sequencing of single frames does make for a kind of phenomenal effect, doesn't it? Uh, um, you, can't, you can't help but uh, experience it in the moment and, and realize that it's an experience that you're having in the present and, in, in, and it's an event. <laughs> you, 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 don't, you don't get lost in a narrative story that's being told. So if, having heard us chatting, you are now wondering where to start with Kren, and if you're not already familiar with his work, I wanted to make a few suggestions. As Kren said in his Facts to Anna, seeing a variety of his films is crucial, so perhaps try a so-called structural film with an action film and a bad home movie. Asil, for instance, is immensely satisfying viewing, moving from a position of withheld visual information to a skilful compositing of images. But contrast this with the sensory assault of an actionist film such as O Tannenbaum, or the documentation of a concert in Underground Explosion, and you start to get an idea of the different facets of this filmmaker. I put the same question of where to start to the panel. Anyway, I just start anywhere, actually. I don't think there's a particular one to... Um, tree again. Tree again. With Mama and Papa. Oh, yeah, that's a beautiful... <laughs> uh, tree again is a beautiful film. Yeah. It's really pretty. And there's nobody... And also, when showing some of these films, 
I mean, it's quite an interesting thing. I I find it very interesting how how if the film is introduced, if films are introduced in a certain kind of way, people just sit and they love them. You know, if you if you talk about music or you talk about rhythm, they'll sit and watch stuff that they would find quite difficult if they didn't if they if they weren't just made to think. Well, actually, it's just a different way of using film. But uh, Simon, any thoughts there? I'm not sure. I, I think I came to Crenn's films, first of all, through um, reading about them, actually, you know. Um, so, you know, for that reason, Trees in Autumn and TV were, were probably the two, two films that, that I read about before I saw them and saw stills and wondered, oh, wonder what, what, I wonder what these films look like. Um, so I was really excited to see them when I eventually got the chance, you know. Um, maybe those two just because just for that reason but um, I mean the, the thing that I've enjoyed in getting to know his films more is to see them in, in, in new ways in fact you know to see to see that there's much more going on than in the films than, than I had imagined when I first read about them this is the reason why you need to see films with people together because all the different reactions to the films I think is what was so fascinating when you when you hear people that you know people say they, they they find this film their favorite they see this in it they find this film is alienating somebody else doesn't find it alien. I just love the idea that you know the whole point of these films and I think that Crenn said so himself that he liked them to be shown in a big cinema he liked the films to be these kind of strange little films to be shown in a big cinema yeah with as yeah. many people as possible you know if you could have 500 people it was brilliant <laughs> much better than just having 30. there's a sort of something rather interesting about the different responses of uh, members of an audience. As always, I'm keen to encourage people to try something a bit different with this show. So my final question to the panel was how would they introduce a Kren film to a newcomer? With those kinds of things, I'm quite I'm quite good at um, how to introduce films because I've done so much of it. And I, yeah. in my experience, they, there is no problem as long as you, if you if you if you talk just about the process of making a poem or of painting a picture, any of these things that actually not everybody when they get, come to film make feature films with narratives. Um, film is not only you know the the purpose of film isn't only to to kind of redo the theatre you know redo the theatre like as if it's real life. Um, uh, um, if you start talking about writing or making poems and riddle poems being like riddles, people never have a problem. You know. Um, yeah, it's, it's and, to and do I, with expectations, isn't it? Of, the, one of the most interesting experiences for me was. I was being shown as an honorary queer in the Hamburg Lesbian or Kurzfilmtage in Hamburg. And, and afterwards, the discussion, there was a, a, a filmmaker called Oki Hiroyuki, who's Japanese, he was an architect, and he makes extraordinary films. And there was a silent film, which had nothing, it was really, you wouldn't have thought it was a gay film or anything like that. Afterwards, in the bar, the discussion about films was provoked by this beautiful film that this uh, Okihiroyuki had made. 
which had nothing to do with gay and lesbianism at all. It was just a, a film by a gay man. And, and a, a form, a, um, a guy who worked on the road, a physiotherapist and a school, a school teacher all started to discuss the films and they kept talking about Oki's film. And this, these were ordinary people, not people who come and see art films. They were just gay and lesbian. So they were from any kind of walk of life at all. But the films that they liked the most were the, the films which were not like mainstream narratives. And they were not trying to put a point across. And they were not, you know, <laughs> you know, they weren't narrative films that were just sort of with, with gay couples rather than men and women. You know, they, they actually liked Oki's films the best. In that in the program that we were discussing afterwards, so so I think if you if you just uh, and then once once I was showing something in Berlin and this guy came up to me and he said, Can't, "Where can we see more of you? Because I really enjoy these visual films." So it's just the audience is being deprived of something that they probably enjoy anyway, like as if they sit down and they watch a piece of music. Nikki, Simon, do you, would you agree with most of that? Does you, do you have anything to add in terms of how to introduce a Kirk Wren film to an audience or a selection? Go on, Simon. <laughs> it's your turn. This is always a difficult... Uh, you asked yeah. this, you know, I, I know it's to do with the title of the programme, yes. isn't it? How to enjoy experimental film. But see, I, I, I teach a module on avant-garde or experimental cinema. And in fact, I find that quite easy mm. because I, I do know my role. In teaching, in teaching the these the third years um, students, it was is introducing them to this to this field of cinema which I love, and I want them to love it too. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like you know, I want them to share my enthusiasm, and I want them to, in fact, you know, rather like your program, I suppose, I want them to see that the work is in in, in no way difficult. In fact, well, you know, maybe it was difficult, but it's it, it can be enjoyable and it make you see cinema in, in a new way. Yeah. So in fact, in fact, when I'm talking to students, and I know my audience as, as students, and I know, you know, in a sense, where they come from, I'm quite confident with that. Um, I don't often do public programming, you know, occasionally. Um, but I've, 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 not, I've, not, I've not often had to sell it to a, you know, put a, put a screening together and had to sell it to a crowd who I don't know. <laughs> In, in this familiar faces and you know and it's like um why well, i'm i'm i i know what i'm showing them is going to be uh i i can kind of second guess the response in a way and then and then pave the paper pave the way for it if you point out something that you know about the film that you've noticed and you you tell the audience about that they will see more in the film yeah. I think so. I don't think there's any harm in just communicating your own enthusiasm. And why are you showing this? Why are That's you showing true. them this film? You're That's not showing true. them the film because you want to punish them. No, 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 of course. You know, you're wanting to show them the film because you want to uh, have them to to be free to uh, to experience something that you <clears throat> enjoyed. You've enjoyed seeing the film. Those <clears throat> films. I mean, a great variety of films. I feel so happy that I've was, had the privilege to be able to see them. And I feel one of the most awful things now is that it's so difficult for people to get to see any of this work. Mm -hmm. 
If you've enjoyed this special extended episode of How to Enjoy Experimental Film, don't forget to subscribe. We'll be back with more very soon. My thanks, of course, to all of the artists participating in this episode for all of the hours they've spent chatting with me. Everybody put in double shifts for this episode. Thanks also to Gabriel Ness, who composed the music for this show, and, of course, to you for listening. Please tune in next time. (laughs) 